Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. I'm your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake Guichet, and I'm so pumped to be bringing you season two of this show, packed full of more people telling incredible stories of who God is and what he's done. Today's interview is with Stacy Booth. Stacy lost her husband, Brad, in November of 2017 to a rare form of cancer after his seven-year battle. And now she spends her time raising their two children and fulfilling Brad's last challenge to her, to tell their story. Our conversation navigates through grief and loss and what God looks like in the midst. Stacy, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, Blake. I'm excited. So this is your first podcast interview. Yes. I'm so excited. It really is like <laughs> such an honor when I get to kind of be people's first interview because I have no doubt that this is the first of many. So um, just to like get us started, introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, I grew up in Birmingham and born and raised here, and so I'm definitely that sugary, sweet Alabama girl that married into the Cajun world. Oh, yeah. And so, (laughs) (laughs) so let me say, I love some Cajuns because y'all have this realness, Mm -hmm. this authenticity that is so refreshing. Maybe that's where, maybe that's why, like, my whole thing is, like, severe authenticity is just because I'm Cajun. Maybe that's what it is. Yes. Like, y'all cut the sugar and you (laughs) go to it. I love that. (laughs) Diving into my story, I I became a widow two years ago, and I have um, a six-year-old daughter, Nola, and a four-year-old son named Gray, and we are still in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm a retired nurse. Um, just kind of living with my babes and working through grief right now. We're hunkered down. Yeah. I didn't realize it was just two years ago. I I know that you have this like really, I mean, heart-wrenching and incredible story. So I would just love for you to like tell us that story. I know like walking through cancer and what becoming a widow at such a, a young age was like. Yes. Well, um, We met in 2006, and we fell quickly in love. We dated for six months, engaged, and then married six months later. Oh, I love that. We had this easy love. Everything just kind of clicked and fell into place, and he was my person. Um, Mm. But about three years into our marriage, he began to have abdominal pain off and on, and we went into the ER And the scan showed his spleen was enlarged. And the surgeon said, hey, look, this is from playing football. We're just going to remove your spleen. It's going to be no problem. But the day of surgery, he came out into the waiting room and his face revealed our new hard truth. And what they found inside of Brad's abdomen was ugly. The cancer had spread all throughout multiple organs in his abdomen and Brad was diagnosed with a rare form of sarcoma, and Mm. it's called desmoplastic small round cell tumor. Um, 250 cases were ever reported at the time. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and he 
they told us that he had a 15% chance to live five years. And so our world stopped that day. Hmm. We were quickly thrown into treatment and left with this like hopeless and defeated feeling going into it because they're telling you it's incurable. Most people don't even make it to three years, um, but we're going to give it all we got. Mm-hmm. So I felt like my hopes and my dreams that I had for my life, that white picket fence, those babies, all of that came crashing down. And my only hope and dream was that he would live Mm. and that we would have time together. Basically, the next seven years of our life was battling um, cancer, numerous, probably 15 surgeries. He was was treated at MD Anderson and Cleveland Clinic. We tried everything, every clinical trial, every drug, every diet, green juice that you can imagine. We gave it our all. Um, and at the end of that seven years, um, we were behind the eight ball and the cancer had grown out of our control. And in October of 2017, Brad was placed on hospice and he would be on hospice for 30 days. And they were the most amazing, gut-wrenching days of my life um, to see my strong and full of life husband being taken by this disease. But yet his inner strength was growing insanely and mm-hmm. I remember him looking at me one day and saying, Stacy, I see you with the weight of the world on your shoulders. And he said, mine is gone. He said, I have this light feeling like I know the joy is awaiting me. And to see him so hope filled, yet his body was, was dying Um, has given me seriously the strength to live each day. Mm. That's kind of where um, a lot of my um, story began in in Mm -hmm. those hospice days of, you know, God, my worst fear is coming true. And how will I ever survive this? And I think, I mean, I'm listening to you talk and I'm like most, I think most people listening are going to be like, oh, this, this is my worst fear. Like you have lived through most people's worst fear, Mm. you know, and, and the fact that you've come out the other side and are using it, you know, for the good and the glory of God and aren't curled up in the fetal position, which no one would, no one would like blame you for, you know, is right. just, I think, such a testament to who God is that he really is who he says he is. He is. And he shows up in a big way. And so, um, I mean, that's, that's a level of grief that I think so many of us are unaccustomed with. Um, How, like, how did people walk through that with you? My sister is a missionary in Africa, and she came to stay with me for 40 days. Mm. And in those 40 days, 
I saw how what is the biggest gift that somebody can give to me is coming into the foxhole, Mm. sitting with me, just being, not trying to fix it, not saying, Stacy, well, it could be worse or this is going to be better one day, but just sitting and bringing me food and letting me rock in my rocking chair. I think I sat in my chair for 40 days and just in the quiet and her presence gave me so much strength. Yes. I think that's so like, I feel like I want to like yell about it like that. I think so often like those of us that are on like the, the fringes of the grief are like, I don't know what to do. And the people that are in it are like, you're doing it. Like just be, be here like literally and and I know I know that different people are gifted differently and equipped differently and there are some people who very naturally like jump into that I am not one of those people um I mm-hmm. am working on my capacity for like because I want to fix it you know like I want to and I'm like if I can't fix it then I don't want anything to do with it and like life and friendship and relationship like just don't work that way and so Right. Learning that sometimes all you really can do is show up mm-hmm. and that that's enough. Yeah. It's not about what you say or what casserole you bring mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, or gift about you, just your body, just sitting in that moment is yeah. so healing. How, so were you and Brat, you were believers before all of this? We were. We okay. both grew up um, in Christian homes and became believers at young ages. So how did this, I'm sure it was like looked different at different stages, but how did that journey impact your relationship with God? For me, it, um, my mom had cancer and she passed when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, this was it felt like a direct hit from God, mm. almost like, wait a minute, haven't I already done this? Like, I already I met paid my, my penance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on suffering. And how can you take this person in my life that has brought so much healing mm. to my broken heart? And, and now he's going to leave too. It was this, it was a wrestle for me. Um, but God showed me very clearly that those band-aids that were covering my old wounds as they were being ripped off, Mm. that he was taking me to like my most broken place, which was death Mm. uh, from my mom and that he was going to bring healing from that. Um, And so it's like he had to return me to this most broken place, not out of, um, him being unkind or ungentle, but in a very loving way, showing me that he was enough um, when the bottom fell out or when the worst fear came true. And so I feel like my relationship with God became very tangible Mm. when I became a widow, because as a woman, you feel so vulnerable. Your comfort has been stripped and you're a single mom and 
there's no man in the home to protect you. But God felt so tangible to me and I felt so dependent on him and that I knew he had to be my provider. Yeah. That these wounds weren't going to be healed. Yeah. Right. And you said like my relationship with God became tangible. And I remember I've talked about it a good amount on the show. So people are like familiar with the story, but my like now five-year-old had a, a near death experience when she was like right over one and you know we spent like a whole week in the in the PICU and like they weren't sure what the outcome was going to be and I can remember like saying almost those exact words that I feel like God is tangible mm-hmm. you know and it's it's crazy how trauma that is so often the outcome for for people is that God, all of a sudden, it's like he's like boots on the ground and he's like tangible and real. And and it, you know, it's almost like I can remember, like, I felt like I was experiencing miracles in real time, which you don't think of when you're like machines are breathing for your kid or you're losing your husband. You know, your husband Mm -hmm. is fighting like what everybody in the medical field is telling you is like a losing battle against cancer. And like you're still experiencing miracles and you're still like almost like experiencing joy like through your husband saying those things of like I have hope and the weight is lifted and that yeah. time after time when I have conversations with people whether whether it's for the show or just in real life about traumatic experiences almost all of them part of the story is that that mm-hmm. God or my relationship with him became so much more tangible Yes. And I think the miracle aspect of, although we didn't get the ultimate healing on earth, um, God was showing me, he was giving me miracles along the way Mm -hmm. of, he gave me two children when they said there was no chance of children. He doubled Brad's lifespan from three years to seven. I mean, over doubled it. Yeah. I think that there's so much to the story that you're like, Oh my gosh, like they told us that we shouldn't be able to have kids and we did. They told him that he was going to have three mm-hmm. years and he had seven, you know, and, and to be willing and um, I guess aware of God and his goodness enough to call those things miracles, you know, that I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would be like, yeah, I mean, like he lived longer than they said he should. And you're like, no, that's a miracle. Like, and we didn't get right. healing this side of earth, but he is like, perfect and whole in heaven with God which when that kind of stuff happens I'm like I totally got the short end of this stick like right <laughs> yeah I'm down here on this said, broken like, earth right <laughs> like and it's not it's not funny but it like you know it's like a laugh so you don't cry thing where you're like you're literally with Jesus you're perfect Mm-hmm. And, like, I have to, like, do all of this without you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Brad would say, you have the harder job, Stacey. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Leaving. And I love that he, you know, that he knew that. So, since you love this podcast, I wanted to introduce you to another one I think you'll really enjoy. Confidently She is hosted by the incredible body confidence coach, Rebecca Biggie who is welcoming women into Christ-like confidence that does more than just make us feel good, but actually impacts the way we view ourselves and the way we interact with the world. 
Confidently She is a refreshing, consistent reminder that women are worth so much more than beauty and that our feminine hearts are an essential part of God's plan for the world. Check out Rebecca and listen to Confidently She anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you were kind of like given the opportunity to talk to or communicate with people like on both sides, what would it be important to you? So we've already kind of talked about like walking through grief with people that like just show up, like just be mm-hmm. there. What about like the people who are actually in the hard space or are in the midst of that grief? I think the most shocking thing for me was that grief felt so physical. Mm. I remember the sun would set and I felt like the pain was going to eat me alive. And I think allowing yourself to not have expectations of when that pain's going to leave. Don't, mm. don't set a timeline. Um, because it comes and goes and it manifests in different ways, whether it's a smell or a flashback or a memory. Um, but allowing yourself to press into the pain. I remember thinking like, God, you've got purpose here. Like you don't let somebody become a widow at 32 and it be wasted. Mm-hmm. And so you have so much of yourself for me and I don't want to numb out here. I want to press into it and trust that you're going to bring purpose. And, um, and I think the healing comes when we're like acknowledging our pain, when we're letting ourselves cry and be restless before God. Yeah. Oh Uh, my gosh. That was so good. (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah, because that's your reality. That's been your reality. And it like, grief like grief and healing are not linear you know and so not only like don't put a timeline on it but like you may feel like you may wake up one morning and be like wait I feel great and then the next day feel like you've taken 10 steps back and that doesn't mean yes that you're not healing right right yeah and and in pressing into the pain I um I struggle with a lot of like mental mental health kind of stuff and one of the biggest things that I've learned is pressing in instead of trying to escape it they like Mm -hmm. scientifically when you feel a panic attack coming on if you lean into it it actually like lessens the um intensity and shortens the time span of the panic attack versus if you spend all of this time fighting it and trying to escape it you really just prolong it um and it's crazy to think how all of that is so connected and that that really applies to the pain that comes with grief as well. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the tears, if I just allow myself to cry, yeah. sometimes the panic, it just soothes that panic and the anxiety. So one thing I would always tell myself is I preached a lot to myself, but I would say press into the pain, mm. um, look up. So where... Where am I going? What is my prize? Um, and I always think about First Peter 1, where it talks about our inheritance is, um, it's never fading. It's undefiled. Um, and so what's awaiting us is never changing. Hmm. Even though our life here feels like we have no inheritance, um, but that God's kept that secure for us. 
in heaven. And so I can um, trust in that. Mm. And so if I'm pressing into my pain, but then I'm looking up, I'm not, I'm not staying in the press in. I'm looking up and then that helps me to press on. Um, yeah. It's almost like a press through. Yeah. Right. Like it's like, just keep, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. And I think I know like as someone who, you know, like I was saying, like struggles with this kind of stuff, like sometimes the just keep going is like, I'm trying, like I'm trying to keep going. And hearing that as an encouragement rather than a command, I think mm-hmm. is so important because when you feel like people are just trying to like tell you what to do, you can like naturally buck up against that. But I think when people are like you are on the not you're not that you're on the other side of that pain because I'm sure that you still experience it. But when you've walked through it and you're like, no, like come, keep coming, keep coming. Like yeah. he's just as good in the middle. He's just mm-hmm. like he's still good in the midst. Like keep coming. It's just so encouraging. Yes, and. Elizabeth Elliot has a quote, which I'm sure you know, but um, it's do the next thing. Mm. So after she found out that Jim died, she went back to her hut and she said she started sweeping the floor. Mm. And that has been such an encouragement to me of, I want to show my kids coping skills, Mm -hmm. whether I feel it or not, but that mommy's always going to have breakfast some kind of breakfast it could be cotton candy but something (laughs) (laughs) um and mommy's gonna get dressed and mommy's gonna get up and keep moving even Mm -hmm. through the sadness um and I think God meets us there yeah absolutely well and I and I, I when I talk about depression people a lot of the time are like like how do you mother and parent with depression and my answer is usually I make it from the bed to the couch yeah and I feed them and sometimes that's it and that's enough Uh yes and I think the security that they get just from seeing us take one step exactly yeah do the next thing and then even if the next thing is like microwaving some frozen pancakes and putting on Peter Pan and getting to the couch. Right. Your children are seeing that. And the, and I think of, you know, if down the road, one of your children experiences grief in some massive form or not, like in just like a like normal everyday grief, like they've watched their mom do it and not fake it not everything's fine everything's we're fine everything's fine like sometimes they ate cotton candy for breakfast because you were grieving and and you that was that was the next right thing for today you know right like we're sad but we're okay right and right and And it's like living in the tension of that Mm -hmm. yeah that's incredible and i'm i'm so thankful that you're Because I know you're, like, you're, like, traveling and and speaking and telling your story, right? Yeah, so Brad, about two weeks before he died, he left me with the challenge to share our story. Mm -hmm. And I was a little bit angry with him because I'm like, wait a minute, public speaking is my worst fear. Can't you just say, like, be a good mom or keep our children alive? Um. But no, he left me with that challenge. And 
about six months ago, I started praying kind of a sassy prayer. Like, God, if you want me to do that, you're just going to have to make it happen. Mm. And the next week I get a Facebook message of, do you speak? (gasps) Won't he do it? I know. And so I had to get my stuff together. <laughs> You're like, I guess I do now. <laughs> my, hu- right. my husband totally sent you, didn't he? <laughs> she said, how much do you charge? I said, whatever you pay Beth more. Uh-uh. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, That's an awesome response. <laughs> I know. I know. So, um, but yes, God has brought so much healing from that mm. of, Man, when we have a when we have a place to share our hurt and to look at other people that are hurting and see that that glimmer of hope in them that if God can can sustain me through the deepest darkest, he can sustain you. Mm-hmm. And it's just passing that torch. Okay, so we close out the interviews with rapid fire questions and you're the first guest to get the new questions. So, like, no pressure. <laughs> um, so, we did keep, I did have to keep the first one the same. Do you know your Enneagram type? I do. I am a two with a wing three. See, there's that public speaking. There's that three. <laughs> I could see that. Uh-huh. I love that. I don't that. think I knew my three until grief. mm that is so interesting. He came alive. Right? Wow. The two is very comfortable for me. It's just my natural bend. But uh-huh. that three came alive. Wow. That's so interesting. What is your coffee order? Okay, so in the morning, I'm all black. Oh, look at you. See, that's such a three answer. <laughs> I know. And then in the afternoon, I sweeten things up. I love that. My dad drinks black coffee, so like people that drink black coffee always have like a little, a little spot in my heart. Um, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Okay, so she's not really a superhero, but I feel like I would love to be Mary Poppins. Oh, she totally has a superpower. She has like all the superpowers, basically. No, just that I could like whip my kids into shape and whip this house into shape. Like, without having to get up and then, like, just have, like, this bottomless bag and, like, fly out of windows and jump into chalk drawings? Heck yes. Like, you totally knocked it out of the park. I don't know how anybody's going to ever follow this question up because, like, that's the best answer. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. This was such an, like, incredible conversation. I'm so thankful for you taking the time and like trusting me to be your first podcast interview. Um, tell people where they can find and follow you. Okay. So you can follow me on Instagram and I'm Stacy W Booth. Perfect. And we will link to that in the show description so people can find you. Um, Stacy, thank you so much. Thank you, Blake. I have enjoyed it. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.
Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save 